Hi there, and welcome to Enhancing Human Experience, the podcast designed to help you get the most out of life. And yes, I do have intro music now, something I've been wanting to do for quite some time. But, you know, one of the issues is there's just a few songs to choose from out there. There's maybe like five intro songs to choose from, right? I mean, (laughs) it's not like there's a million songs or anything. But actually, you know, I didn't listen to too many intros before I found this. And I was like, you know what? I like it. I'm going to roll with it. Um, We'll see what happens down the road. But for now, this is the intro music. So let me know what you think about it um, through social media or on my website, gmarkphillips.com. I'd love your feedback. You can find all those links in the show notes for every episode on my website, gmarkphillips.com. So I'd love to get your feedback. So let me set up this episode. This is episode 22, and I sat down with my very good friend, Jana Mitchell. And Jana is a hospice nurse. You know, she is working with people who are at the end of their lives, you know, all the time, right? And she's dealing with death and dying constantly. And I think there's really something valuable we can learn from death, right? It it, it makes us, it keeps us focused. It reminds us that, hey, you better do what you came here to do. Stay in your purpose. Stay in your zone of genius because human life is finite, right? And when it transitions, it transitions. No one knows when they're going to go, right? And even though it's a sad experience when we lose someone that we're close to, there's so much, you know, uh, there's a positive side to, to death too, right? That we don't often see in the moment when it really sucks when someone passes, right? But I think it's really valuable to think about death in that way as like the great ally, right? Constantly urging us to do what's important, do what matters, don't put things off, you know, mend mend fences, um, remove grudges, um, just to to, to get rid of the silly pettiness that a lot of, you know, occupies a lot of the human experience and detracts from it, quite frankly. So she has a lot of good stuff to share. I really enjoyed this interview and I think you will too. And on that note, let's get into it. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about death. Interesting subject, but I really think that there's a lot to learn from death on how to enhance the human experience. And before I introduce my guest today, I want to share two quotes with you. And the first is from Stephen Covey and his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And the second is from Leonardo da Vinci. And Stephen Covey said this, begin with the end in mind. And Leonardo da Vinci said this, as a well-spent day brings happy sleep, so a life well-spent brings happy death. So on that note, I want to welcome my guest, Jana Mitchell, to the show. Jana is a hospice nurse and has worked in a number of different capacities within that industry. But why don't you tell us your background in hospice, Jana? I started my nursing career at the hospital, which I would recommend any nurse does that, um, on the medical surgical unit. And initially, I'd wanted to be a life flight nurse. So I started on a med surge unit and I got on the code team. And I did the code team for about six months. And it took about six months for me to realize I didn't really want to be on the code team. Not because it wasn't exciting and it's great to save lives, but you're usually not saving lives. You're usually extending the lives of somebody who probably needs to go. Someone who's been in a bad accident. No. Elderly people are usually who you code. Oh, that's what I was going to ask you. Code, it's called code team? Right. Okay. So you have someone who's already in the hospital 
who's already getting life-saving therapies and they die anyway and then we try to bring them back to life that's usually what the code team's doing and on my very last code that i participated in um, it was an elderly woman who had who clearly had end-of-life diseases going on and her family was in the room because we had an open code policy which is a great idea so people know how hard you work to save the people they love sure and the family was nowhere prepared it was a child and then that child's child so a child and a, a grandchild that were there and of course they were 60 and 40 ish um, the, the patient was quite elderly and one of them passed out and one of them was vomiting so then we had nurses for them too and they weren't ready and that's what stuck with me is this was not a brand new diagnosis this was something the woman had been living with or dying with probably for 10 to 15 years and this time we weren't going to be able to save her and they weren't ready and then i thought about the the cost we spend on keeping people alive and that that cost would be so much better put into education about how long we really do live and it's not 100 years it's still 76 years about and um, that the hospital can't always put you back together and so i would have rather seen money go into the community into support groups into bereavement groups and into education on how to live well with a terminal illness and so i shortly after that um, went started seeking hospice so so because of that your experience there you said i want to put my energy into you feel it was more beneficial in many ways right Okay, so how, how many years have you been in hospice? I've been in hospice since 2005, so 12 years. Okay, 12 years. And, and what roles have you, I know you've done a di- lot of different roles within that industry. So um, staff nurse or nurse case manager, is I spend a lot of my time doing that, and that's really where the heart of it is. And I feel like I am very good at that, and so I became manager after that. So there's lots of different titles depending on where you work, but um, it's a supervisor or clinical director or director of nursing, and I've been doing that for probably five or six years out of that 12 years. Okay, and for for people who don't know what hospice is, can you give us a definition? Sure, Um, hospice is care in the community, so we come to where you live, whether you live in a skilled facility, an assisted living, in a regular house, in a trailer, in a teepee, we don't care. We come to where you're living. And it's when you have a terminal diagnosis with life expectancy of six months or less if the disease runs its normal course. And then you get the services of a nurse, of a social worker, um, a chaplain or a spiritual care provider, a certified nurse's assistant. Um, I work for a great company. We also have massage therapy. We have a death doula. We have probably hundreds of volunteers, so we really do what we can to make that end of the life not just comfortable, but living out some of those things we want to do before we die. So it's like a team effort. Oh, and there's a physician too. And okay, of course, I guess that's important and true. And one of the questions I've always been curious about is, has hospice been around forever? Or what was before hospice? What did people? How did people die before hospice? I should have. 
studied up before I came. Um, I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> Give me um, the history, Janice. So I hope I don't quote some wrong years. So back in the 80s, hospice was in America. Hospice was mostly for people dying of cancer. And just locally, um, hospice really took a turn in the early 2000s, at least in our area, to really expanding it. Um, there were other ways you could get hospice before, but the community, uh, the Ada County community and the Canyon County community really started utilizing hospice in the early 2000s. There was a big change, and that change was pretty consistent across the United States. Really, so there's like a surge of people putting energy, like well, counties and states putting energy right. into Medi hospice. Medicare figured out it saves money, which it does. It's you spend less money and you get more care, so it's really a great thing. Sure. And then, of course, our population's aging, so there's a real need for it. Well, and that's one of the things that I also want to touch on and get your perspective on this. Like you just said, sometimes we put a bunch of money into keeping people alive. To what degree, right? How happy are they? Are they really, like, enjoying it themselves, which sometimes doesn't seem like it? Um, because our medical industry, it seems like they can pop a bunch of pills and do a lot of stuff and extend life but not always the best thing. I mean, what's your perspective on that? Yeah, we have the ability to really extend life um, at least 20 years if we want to in a lot of cases. And some people, I think, are have projected that people should be able to live 120 and 130 years. Um, I've I heard that. I say no thank you. Well, <laughs> you're right. If the last 30 sucks, what's the point, you know? <laughs> I mean... You know, I, I keep thinking about, you know, you hear these stories of people like Albert Einstein and other people who are like, they get an illness of some sort and they're like, no, I'm, I'm going to let this take me out, right? I'm, I'm not going to go to crazy extremes. I mean, do you, does that happen with people in hospice or do you find most people want to extend their life like regardless of whatever else? Um, it has so much to do with how you've lived your life as how well you die and I have been to many conferences in the United States, and it is different in the rural community, how we live and how we die. And I'm from a rural community, so, and I'm serving a rural community, so that's really, I'm on board with the rural folks and how in they what, live and die. Oh, so in what sense? What, how is it different? Fewer life-extending measures. In so, the rural community. Right. You can have life-extending measures in hospice. Um, but in rural communities, people are less likely, in my experience, to choose those. And I have a theory about it. Um, You're going to share that? Love, you, can't, you can't tease <laughs> us and not share it. Come on. <laughs> so a uh, farmer, I'll give an example of a farmer. Um, you see the life cycle all the time as a farmer. You, you plant, the, you plant, it grows, you, you tend to it, you harvest, um, you get your cows have babies you raise the cow there's a death and there's really life cycles in farming and so um it it's not a foreign thing that your life is also in a life cycle it makes perfect sense well and kind of segueing into in with that that statement you you're dealing with death every day how has that or has it changed your perspective on life so I think people get a calling to hospice. So there's usually, not always, but most hospice nurses I know who've continued to do hospice nursing, it's a calling before you actually become a nurse or you even enter into hospice because of your life experiences up till then. 
and not to say that doesn't that's everybody's story people have different stories and certainly there's many nurses who do two years of hospice and it's kind of like a time served sure and they move on to something else um so i was raised um to believe that there's worse things than dying and so you need to be let li- you need to be let live and let live yeah and um I grew up in a family where you were allowed to do all kinds of wild things. You get it all out of your system, right? Go. Right. And I'm so thankful for that. Uh, I also lived in a community where kids died. I don't, I, that might be because of the wild things. And so um, I think the stats back then for our county were at least two kids that you grew up with were going to die, and that's two kids in your group. So that meant two of my friends, two of my sister's friends, two of my brother's friends, and that's actually very consistent with how um, we lived. And then my best friend, I met her when we were 11 years old, and she had an illness where her life expectancy was 18 years old. Oh. And so it was very normal that that you're not going to live forever. And since there was a normalcy to it, and then as I got older and I had my own children, I realized what a gift her parents had given her because she was allowed to play with us and do everything normal kids were going to do, even though she could have a heart attack at any time. Oh, really? So they let her live her life. And that was a, a real um, testament to me on how to live your life. And that's a, that's a great, yeah, great illustration. Well, and that's the, the other thing, you know, when we're talking about how to how to live while you're alive like some people go through life and they're not really even living right and right. and and we're all on the spectrum some somehow do you see people at the end of their lives i mean that have deep regrets and if so wh- what kind of things do they regret or do they share that with you the worst regrets i see or at least the ones that really stick with me are unforgiveness and hate and not mending your fences with your family or not forgiving your parents or a parent who's unforgiven and this is one of my little jokes is we all stink we're all not great human beings all the time and so learning that you should forgive your parents and your siblings and your kids and really accept people just how they are and you're going to live a much better life and it's really sad when someone hasn't talked to their kid for 40 years and they still don't get to talk to them before they die or even if they do get to mend that fence before they die which is the best case scenario there's still horrible grief for on both parties for letting 40 years roll by yeah so they come back together and there's this like why didn't we do this earlier right because most things people hate each other for petty or misunderstandings yeah yeah I would agree with that. That ego gets in the way and is like, you know, you wronged me 40 years ago. But you took this thing from me and now it's all going to be a huge issue. Yeah. Well, that's that's I think that's a really good way to look at it. Um, well, I think that's great perspective. I really appreciate you stopping by and sharing that. I know um, some people, like you said, if they're not called for it, they're not going to be able to do it. Well, and it's not a great job if you're not called for it. Uh, anybody in nursing or healthcare can say that it's a lower middle class wage, it's very livable, <laughs> but it's lower middle class and you work weekends and you work holidays and you work nights and you're on call and um, you get told all kinds of secrets. And I mean, there's, you know, there's all kinds of drama. So unless you have a calling for it, um, it's not really something you'd sign up for. I can't imagine. I mean, in, well, in our culture, 
you know, death is something people don't really like talk about. And I think that's a, a little ways unfortunate. I sometimes over the last number of years of, of, you know, looked at death as like the great ally that's always there saying, mm-hmm. hey, you know, you better get your, you know what done because I'm, I'm going to be waiting for you at some point in life. Um, but just, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem like most people kind of are in that mindset, you know. I just like that uh, quote that um, co- from Covey is which one um, live with the end in mind. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yes, exactly. Yes. And and whenever, you know, whenever I attend a funeral of a of a friend or family member, it it kind of wakes you up and, and it makes you realize get, it gets you going again and like get you back on track because we have a tendency to kind of just flake off to a degree. So uh, my kids, which, of course, having a hospice nurse as a mother makes their lives a little different. And we had gone to a funeral of their grandmother, whom they loved dearly. And um, somebody put together this wonderful video. I think that people do that at a lot of funerals. So there was all kinds of photos. And there was some very nice, expensive group photos that were taken by professionals. And then there was grandma and my kids doing stuff. Sure. <laughs> and that's what my kids had remembered is they're like, they thought it was so strange that their photos were the only ones of them doing stuff like uh-huh. fishing or <laughs> going to a parade or doing things. And so, um, and they were like, why would you want to do? Nobody wants to dress up and go to the <laughs> photographer. Why is that a memory? So it was kind of fun to see their perspective. Well, plus they're, they're boys and they're like, this is, you know, that's stupid. What's the point, right? I don't need to put all that on. <laughs> pomp and circumstance, right? <laughs> well, thanks for stopping by. I really do appreciate it. Sure. All right. Until next time, all the best, health, wealth, and success. Bye-bye.